welcome to the Hungry Authors Podcast. A hungry author is someone who is, quite simply, hungry for it. They're willing to do what it takes to achieve their writing dreams. If that resonates, you're in the right place. I'm Ariel. And I'm Liz. We're two book coaches, editors, and writers here to help you get there. We interview experts and chat about all things publishing and writing to educate and build a community of successful writers, whatever that means to you. Welcome. Let's get started. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Hungry Authors Podcast. Today, we're super psyched to have Honoré Quarter. She is, um, of course, a professional um in our industry, but also a friend of ours. Honoré and I met for the first time. I don't know if you know this, Honoré. I'll let you introduce yourself, but I was just thinking the other day about how we met for the very first time at Jeff's Tribe Conference many years ago. And of course, we've kept in touch and um, yeah, been friends since then. So anyway, okay, Honoré, go ahead and um, give our listeners a quick um, overview of who you are and what you do. Okay, well, I'm Honoré Quarter, and I am the author of more than 50 books with I think I've sold more than four and a half million copies in 39 languages around the world. I'm very tired. (laughs) I can't imagine why. I mean, (laughs) yeah, Um, I'm the host of the Empire Builders Mastermind, which is super fun. And I also help uh, some people write, publish and monetize their books as a custom service that I offer. And I'm a cat mom and a dog mom and a wife and a mom and a friend and a daughter and a sister. And yeah, I was going to say you're a real old mom. Not that pet moms aren't real moms. I have a pet. Ariel has pets, but you have a human child as well. I have a human child. Yes. And sometimes, well, can I say that sometimes that the animal children are better? And, and I think the, this is a safe place for that. Yeah, the physical, absolutely. The physical child. I love my love, love my daughter. But I have to say, I go to the mail and I come back and my dog is losing her mind. She's like so happy to see me. She brings me a toy. She licks my face. I mean, what's better? Why do people not act like that about other people? Right. I'm so yeah. happy to see you. Is that too much to ask? Right. Is it too much to ask for a little enthusiasm, everyone? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so. Yeah. Um, Honoré, do you remember um, us meeting for the first time? Of course. I absolutely do. Yeah. I told my husband last night that we were chatting today and even he, he, not even he, but he, he's not in the book industry. So he actually doesn't really, you know, like associate or know a lot of people that I know. So, but he was there and he was like, oh yeah, I remember her. And I was like five years ago, four years ago. That's amazing. Yes. I, I really loved Tribe Conference and I was very sad when it ended. Yeah. Yeah. Let's get into the best-selling book formula. To kick things off, we want to ask you about the distinction that you make in the book that we want you to elaborate on here between best-selling and best-earning. Because I think people will be interested to talk about this because everyone says they want a best-selling book, but they also want to know, they also want to make money from it and have a career. And how do those two things work together? And are they always the same? So tell us how you think about this. Yeah. So we're in the book business. So we know that when someone says I'm a best-selling author, very often they are number one in the kitten leg warmers category for one hour. Right. 
and they got a screenshot of it. They screenshot it. Screenshot of it. Like raise your hand if you've done that. I'm raising. No, I was going to say not that we won't do it if it does happen. Do it because that's what the general public understands, right? Like the non-book business people understand the term best-selling author, and book people understand authors and writers understand best-selling author, right? Best-selling book. However, I've been around for a minute and a half. And there's a big distinction between having a best-selling book and having a best earning book. And it's like all real estate agents are salespeople, but not all salespeople are real estate agents. Not all best-selling books are best earning books, but all best earning books are best-selling books, right? And so what I wanted people to think about was how could they make their book a best-selling book, but really a best earning book. And one of the people who's been in my universe for a long time was like, well, why didn't you call it the best earning book formula? And I was like, because eight people on earth know what that is. And you're one of them. So no one would buy the book, the best earning book formula, because nobody's Googling or searching for a best earning book. They're looking for a best selling book. But if I can take them from the understanding that you can be a bestseller for five minutes, but you want to be a best earner for a decade and how to do that, that was really kind of the impetus behind that book. Yeah. I, I think that's so important. I mean, in publishing land, when I worked at a publishing company, I obviously saw that all the time. It's like, if we can claim any, you know, in any way that a book is a bestseller, you're going to stick it on the cover. You're going to, you know, put it on the website. You're going to make a big to do about it. But behind the scenes, we all kind of knew, okay, this isn't one of our top earners. This isn't one of the books that is going to enable us to invest in more books, let's say. So how do you, like, how do you think about that? Is that like a number distinction? Is there like, you know, what would qualify as a best earning book then, you know, is is it about the numbers or is there something more to it? I don't really look at number of books sold necessarily. I'm keeping track because I am coming up on 20 years of self-publishing. And so at some point I was like, how do I how do I get credibility with people who say they're best sellers, right? They're best sellers, they're publishing experts. So I thought, well, it's, numbers are just something people understand. So I share those numbers just to say, like, I might really know what I'm talking about because I, you know, I've got the the silver strands and the the ducats to prove it, right? For me, um, I'm I don't actually necessarily count book sales, I've given away tens of thousands of books because a lot of times my clients come to me because they'll give that, I'll give them a very sexy hardcover that cost me $9. And then they'll give me their American express card, which pays for all of the books I've ever given away. <laughs> right. So supremely worth it. Um, I think it's not always just book sales, but it is the revenue that's generated through book sales and other forms of income, other income streams, that is what I'm ultimately counting over time, if that makes sense. It does. Yeah, totally. And I also think, you know, this is something we have to talk to our um, students about when we teach about this, um, you know, in our webinars and in our in-person workshops, especially the memoirists or people who you know, just uh, tend to be more of the like creative writerly types. They want to make a career out out of it, but they'll say things like, you know, they just really want to tell their story. They want to be heard and understood. And sometimes it even veers more into like a legacy project. But, you know, when we talk about 
um, nailing your big idea, positioning and organization of the book that that that's what you need to have like a best selling and or best earning book. But even okay. if you tend towards that creative, I just want to like write and tell my story side of the writerly spectrum, if you want to put it that way, yep. this is still the best way to do that. Like this is still the best way to write and communicate. Like you can't, you still have to have a plan. You still have to know where your book fits into the market. I don't care how you want to publish it. You still have to know how to talk about it, how to sell it, how to communicate it. And I know that some like sort of, you know, classic writerly types don't always like to think that way, you know, cause they feel it veers too far into the like, marketing or sort of like the sellout side, which of course we don't agree with, but you know, sometimes people, you know, we, we, we all have clients. I've like had that. some people quit rather than face their fear of selling things. Right. So yeah, they just go, I'm out. I, this doesn't work. I'm, it's not working. I just want to create and write and publish books. And unfortunately you can be the best writer in the world. If you can't talk about your book or sell your book, then you're going to live in your car. Exactly. It's like, okay, you had this thing, you had the story you want to share. You still have to have a plan. You still have to know how to talk about it, how to, you know, position it and how to organize it. And that like, it's all kind of one thing. You know what I mean? Like there's no matter what your intention is, this still has to be part of it. If you want other people to read it and get something from it, I don't care if the other people you want to read it are just like, your 10 family members, like you still have to do it well, you know, you want to compel them to read it. Yeah, exactly. Yes. yes I agree. Um, okay. So the best selling book formula, it's got four elements and keys elements slash keys. Um, would you give us like a quick rundown of what those are? Yep. So there are four keys are there easy. It's easy to read. So mm -hmm. we're looking at a seventh grade reading level. Uh, seventh grade U.S. reading level, because that's the average reading level. And if someone too hard of a time, if they see too many $10 words and their brain goes, I don't understand it. I don't understand it. They're just going to step away and they'll miss out on your book. Yeah. Um, something about the book needs to be easy to remember, even, even if it's remembered wrong. So I'm the co-creator of the Miracle Morning book series. And a lot of times people will say, oh, I love the morning miracle. And I'll say, that's fantastic. <laughs> I love that you loved it. My shoe <laughs> collection loves that you loved it. <laughs> Thank you for buying and telling your friends, right? So easy to read, easy to remember. Something about the book needs to be easy to do, especially whatever it is you're sharing in the books. So if you're sharing your process, or a procedure or a formula, someone needs to be able to do it without talking to you. So you have to make it simple enough that someone can replicate it, duplicate it, and maybe even do it better than you did it. And finally, it needs to be easy to share. So the title needs to be memorable. The process needs to be transformational so that people transform and other people say, what are you doing? And it's easy to talk about. So easy to read, easy to remember, easy to do, and easy to share. I, I love how one easy those are <laughs> to remember. You're I'm welcome. like, they, you are <laughs> totally practicing what you preach in this book. Um, and for those who, um, you know, who haven't seen it yet, it's available on Amazon and it's like just a really quick, amazing read full of these four keys and kind of how to do them. But I wanted to ask you specifically about the easy to do part. Cause I think that's where I see, cause I work with a lot of professionals 
And Mm -hmm. like a lot of, you know, people who are kind of experts in their field. And there's always this hesitance that they have to like giving away too much. And they're like, well, I don't, I don't want them to be able to do too much without me because that's my income, right? Like I want to give them the ideas, but then I want them to come to me for the implementation. I want them to come to me for, you know, consulting or workshops or whatever. And so like, I, I was, you know, reading through this, like imagining my authors and going like, I've had to have this conversation with them before too, of like, no, you shouldn't hold back. Like, give, give your readers everything, but say more about that. Yeah. So you said it very beautifully. And what I will add to that is the right reader, not that there's a wrong reader, but the right reader is going to read that and say, this is my expert. This is the person I want to work with. Here's my American express card. Please do this with me or for me. The person who wants to do it because they bought your 99 cent book or your $3.99 book, they do, they're not going to fork over your fees. They're just not. And so the, the person who is reading your book to validate your expertise and your knowledge is looking for next level information. And if you hold back, they're just going to be pissed off at you. They're just going to be like, I got this book. You promised to give me the best-selling book formula, but all you did was tell me that for 10 more dollars or 97 more dollars, I could learn more over here. And yes, I do have a workbook. And yes, I do have a course that goes along with it. But you don't have to have those. You can get them if you want them, but you have everything in the book. So you want to give everything that you can give to someone without having a conversation with them. But make no mistake, unless you write a book that's the size of a telephone book, you're the expert. There's no way you can cram in all of that education, expertise, knowledge, mileage, connections, conversations, distinctions that you've made on the field in one little book that someone's going to buy and read. It's just impossible. So I think people are just afraid that they're just all going to give it up. But the person who only has 15 bucks to spend isn't going to come up with 1500 or 15,000 or 150,000. They're just not. Right. Yeah. And I think what's, um, what's underestimated is the, the amount of trust that you build with Mm -hmm. readers when you give them everything, when you give them all of the tools that they need, even if they then choose to hire you or then choose to, you know, take a course or whatever the next steps that they choose may be, you've built so much trust with them by giving them all of those tools and those resources and all of your, all of your best thinking. Yes. And honestly, you can't give everything. You can give them everything that you can tell them in a book without having a conversation, but there is a limit to what you can give. And I've written 60 books and I still get questions. Yeah. I still, I'm still writing. I still have more to say. I don't know if it's great. I'm still doing it anyway. Who's going (laughs) to stop me? (laughs) Well, one of my clients said something the other day that I hadn't thought of. That was so why a lot of my clients fall into the like thought leadership, digital entrepreneur kind of category. And, um, I have a client right now who's, um, yeah, up there with a lot of really popular digital entrepreneurs has a really popular course online about how to uh, start and run a membership. And, you know, a lot of these uh, people like him take um, their course or their expertise and they turn it into a book. That's sort of a niche that I've developed for myself. I help them do that. Um, And every now and then I will ask them like, all right, so you want me to just take 
a lot of this material from your $2,000 course and just put it right here in the book. And he was like, yep. He, he said, um, I'm not worried about giving too much away because the experience of doing this through my course and doing it one-on-one with me, if people have the money to pay for that is a different experience. Like it is. This is like, it, it sounded to me like he had enough like faith and confidence in himself and what he had to offer that like, he wasn't worried that someone's going to read it and then never want more, you know, that like the course is different. Like it's a different experience. His one-on-one VIP days are a totally different experience. Yep. yep. And I was like, wow, I never thought of it that not, not necessarily that there's more or different information, although I'm sure there is, but that it's just more about the experience, you know? Right. That's right. And having access to someone and having them answer questions, you don't get that with a book. Right. You don't get that with a course. Although my courses, I do live Q and A's for them because Mm -hmm. I like to meet my students and hang out with them and answer their questions. But you don't get that unless you're willing to invest in yourself and your business at a higher level. And are most of your clients tend to be people who have lots of, or at least some other offerings, right? The book is, you know, a vehicle to like, like similar to the way that you run your business where I don't want to say like a lead magnet. Cause that's just sort of an industry term, but what are your, what are your clients? Go ahead. Um, the custom books that I do are, are for next level folks. They're for gotcha. and, and companies, company founders who have exited or yeah. run very successful multi-million dollar tens of millions or hundreds of millions of dollars uh, in revenue. Mm-hmm. And they want to have a book for whatever their reason is for having a book. Right? right. Is it a part of your process to talk about that? Like, what are your goals of course. around the book oh, outside yeah. of just having a book? Not that there's not that that isn't a good enough reason on its own. Like Ariel and I tell people all the time that like, if you just want to write a book, cause you have something to say, like, that's a valid reason to do it. But a lot of people like, like your clients who have lots of experience or a platform of some kind, they have other goals. Like they want to have a speaking career or they want consulting clients or, you know, it, the book serves lot, a bigger purpose in the world than just spreading a message. So, um, yeah. Is that part of your process to sort of think through how to always, yeah, always, yeah. always I'm looking for how they're going to get the return on their investment, but I will be honest that there's the, there's the coach and speaker level, right? The person who's a coach or a speaker, and they want to have more coaching clients or more speaking clients or more consulting clients. Then there's the thought leader level person who has a book and they generally have already speaking engagements or they run communities or masterminds or something like that. And then there's the level of the clients who pay my fees, which are next level folks that they just want to have a book because they're at the level of the, they run in circles of people who have books, right? So they want to have a book. Sometimes they want to utilize the book for a purpose. All of them have a purpose for the book and all of them want to realize a return on that investment. And they're very, they're very happy to spend an interesting amount of money, a a copious amount of money on producing a book, but they also want to know that it's going to give them some sort of either return or satisfaction that has nothing to do with money. And so that always comes with it. And I, being a farm girl from Ohio, I'm very interested on them getting a return on their monetary investment because 
when you do a custom book, you use a ghostwriter. And so your time is 20 hours total for a book, not, not the hundreds of hours that the ghostwriter and I put into it. Right. But, but there, the author's investment is 20 hours. Right. Right. But, but their money is, is significant. And I want them to get a return on the money investment. Although I've had several clients say, Andre, that's the least of my concerns. This is a rounding error. I have an outcome for this that has the, the book is positioning me as the expert. And that's all I need. I need the person I'm in a conversation with to recognize me as the expert. And this book will do that. And the amount of money I'm going to get on the deal I make is going to be multiple seven figures, which will make this look like a very wise investment indeed. So it's just a different way of thinking. Yeah. Mm, I love that. So what about memoir? Do you see, like, do a lot of your, a lot of your clients write memoir? No. Okay. Okay. No, very, I've done maybe, I think three projects for people that wanted to have a legacy book. So very successful people who were in the sunset of their life and they hadn't told their grandchildren their story. Mm -hmm. One woman, two men who hadn't told their family their entire story from, you know, being born in a, in a barn and, you know, living in a boxcar, whatever, and, and founding a company and, and, leaving that legacy and wanting their kids and their grandkids and their heirs to really understand the whole story behind it and capturing that whole story. Um, No books were sold (laughs) in the creation of the process. They just wanted to have a really great uh, product, a really great book at the end. So, but mostly, no, mostly I don't, I don't live in the memoir space at all. Well, I mean, I can see the best-selling book formula, kind of those four things, maybe not the do piece, but the certainly the read, remember, and share piece. I mean, that works just as well for memoir as it does for prescriptive nonfiction. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I still see this being incredibly applicable, you know, the best-selling book formula to any nonfiction writer, really. I mean, any, actually any writer, even fiction, it could, any, any story still needs to be easy to read, easy to remember. And maybe the strategies that you use to make it easy to read are a little bit different. It's about having, you know, a really great hook and, you know, cliffhangers and like kind of those story elements to it. Those are part of what makes it easy to read and remember, but you still need those elements regardless. You do. Yes. And the, and the do part sometimes is just to read it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. It's like you, you want people to, to, to do by reading the next book, by becoming a, a fan, right? What do you want people to do from reading your book? When you're a fiction author, you want them to read your next fiction book, right? Yeah. Right. You want them to become a fan. You want them to, to join your Patreon mm-hmm. and send you 10 bucks for coffee, right? I mean, lots of different and unique things that you can do as a fiction author that, um, that are carry over from, from nonfiction. Or even just like be inspired, you know, by character, like live your life in a different way. You know, like Ariel and I always tell memoirists, like the best, like we don't think of memoirs as prescriptive nonfiction, of course, but the best memoirs do change people, you know, like even if the, the instruction isn't like do this, you know, you still walk away like a different perspective, like changes you. I cannot imagine that the people you know, the grandchildren who read that legacy book weren't just changed, you know, like, right. Well, and even a book like eat, pray, love, 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Yes. right. I think that's memoir-esque. Yeah, definitely. And, definitely. And we all wanted to go to Italy and Bali. Go and- to Bali and... India, India, yeah, I India. Like, and where did we do yoga? We did yoga the, in India. Yeah, pray. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yes. Um, yeah. I wonder how many. So many people went to Bali because I did a book with a woman in Bali who was a sex uh-huh. expert, uh-huh. and she was like, "You wouldn't believe all of these divorcees that come over here and act crazy." with their copies with their battered copies of eat pray love and i'm like oh no so obviously that works (laughs) yeah yeah interesting that's amazing so the other you know new book that you have um which you amazingly sent us um a copy of which was so great um is write your first nonfiction book so tell us a little bit about kind of you know, the audience for this book and what this book is doing versus the best-selling book formula. Yeah. So the best-selling book formula is part of the process that I share in write your first nonfiction book. And both of these books started as blog posts. They were, I sent them to my, my newsletter list because I'm always trying to, I have a daily newsletter that goes out and it's maybe a one to three minute read. And I'm really just trying to encourage people to get out of their own way and to be writers already, right? To write the book or to to just write whatever it is that they want to write and to, and to, to remove obstacles, including themselves. And I, I started to analyze just a couple of the books that I had written and realized that I was doing the same thing subconsciously in these books. Chapter one was, you can do whatever I'm talking about in this book. And chapter two are stories of people who have done what I'm telling you to do in this book. And so in Write Your First Nonfiction Book, I was very meta. I used each chapter to do what I was suggesting that people do in their book, knowing that you don't have to start every book with the you can do it chapter. That can be chapter five, or it can be chapter 31, or however you want to do it. I wanted to give people a recipe, and, and I wanted to do it in the way that I learned how to cook or to bake. Now the jury is still out on whether I can do either of those things. Although my husband will say she doesn't cook, she bakes. But when I was learning to cook, I felt very inadequate. I didn't grow up in a family where we cooked together. And so I felt very inadequate in the kitchen. And so I just didn't do it. Just, just, you know, flat out didn't do it. And then one day I realized if I can read, I can do anything because I can follow directions. I'm pretty smart, right? So it's like a cup of this and a cup of that and a cup of this and the dry ingredients fold into the wet ingredients, pour it into a pan, make sure you oil the pan, put it at 350 and 30 minutes later, you have brownies. I was like, what's wrong with this? This is fantastic. And then I realized from there that I could make turtle brownies with caramel or I could add nuts or I could have, you know, pecans or walnuts and I could customize it in a way. And I thought if I could encourage people just to follow a recipe If they could just follow a recipe, then they would realize that it wasn't so hard after all, and they could do it. I think there's some things that we make much bigger than they are. We make them much harder. We think they're going to take much longer and they're going to require much more effort. And sometimes that's true. Because I say, when you start a business, expect it to take twice as long, cost twice as much and require twice as much effort, right? And just be in it, be committed for the long haul. However, if you have a process to follow, you have a mentor, you have someone guiding you and encouraging you, you can get out of your own way. So I wanted to write a book. I I wanted to turn this into a book at someone's suggestion because someone read it and printed it out and was working on books 
like using oh, wow. the process. Mm-hmm. So, Henri, you should turn this into a book. That's I thought awesome. if I turned it into a book, it would need to be a book that was easy to read, easy to execute, and would encourage the person to, to not only read it. And when you look at a book that's this size, so for those of you that aren't visual, this book is 4.2 by seven. Mm-hmm. It's 21,000 words. It's 124 pages. That's awesome. Yeah. So it's not, it, it doesn't take very long to read. If you're a fast reader, 45 minutes. If you're a slow reader, two hours. Yeah. And, right. And at the end, at the end, what I thought would happen was that people would think, huh, I could read it. I can do it. She was very meta. I, I learned everything I needed to learn. I don't feel like anything was left out. I don't feel like I was misled. I feel like I'm being encouraged to do something that I can actually do. Mm-hmm. And I gave someone the book at the start of an hour meeting. And at the end of an hour meeting, he came up to me and he goes, I'm more than halfway through. I really think I can do this. <laughs> <laughs> That's now, awesome. the fact that he was reading during a meeting where there's no judgment. <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> right. Rather yeah. than paying attention, I'll take it. But that's what's happened since this book came out in June of 2023. I've had more people reach out to me and say, now I want to do the next, you know, I want to take your publishing course or whatever. Yeah. I want to talk to you about writing a book because I feel like for the first time I can get out of procrastination and into action for the very first time since the very first time I thought about writing a book, I feel like I can now do it. And your book gave me that gift. And that's the gift that I wanted to give people in the book. So the book is for someone who wants to write and publish their first nonfiction book. And it provides what to do in each of the seven or eight chapters. Mm -hmm. And then knowing that it's like, you know, Legos, you can move the pieces around to suit you and your message and the job of the book. You know, what is the job of the book? Is the job to get you clients and customers? Is it to establish you as an expert? Is Is it to let people know you're the authority in the space that you know more than other people who say they do what you do, whatever the job of the book is, then you can customize the content. But first you have to know that to make brownies, you need a cup of this and a cup of that and a cup of this and a couple of eggs and some, you know, some vanilla and a splash of this. And then you can customize them in however you want to do it. You can customize your book and however you want to do it. And that's really what I wanted to do with this book. And it seems to be working. So I'm super excited about it. Yeah, that's amazing. I'm not surprised that's... it's working because I think that's, you know, obviously we read a lot of books about writing and we're writing a book about do. writing. <laughs> yeah. Maybe but, you know, everyone that's... else's book about writing. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but that's the thing I see missing in so many books is yeah. like, but what do you actually like when the rubber hits the road? Like, sure, everyone talks about like how to get your big idea. Everyone talks about you know, some general guidelines to like outlining, let's say, but to actually have like, no, 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 this is what chapter one is about. Do this. And this is what chapter five is about. Do this because a lot of people are like, okay, cool. I can wrap my heads around like the beginning and the end, let's say maybe sometimes, Yeah. but all of that, everything in the middle is what often gets lost. And that's where authors run out of steam because they're like, I don't actually know how to start here and somehow kind of lay out this trajectory of this journey for the reader that's going to get me all the way to my ideal ending point. So I think that's an incredible gift that you've given readers and and writers in this. Yeah. 
That's exactly what stood out to me when I read it too. I was like, I have never seen an author just tell people what to put in every single chapter. Yeah. <laughs> I've never seen that before. That is so cool. And like, I feel like we've learned too, like I have a couple different, different like chapter templates for first time authors. If I'm not ghosting the whole thing, you know, and I'm helping yeah. someone like if maybe I'm just doing like a proposal and they are going to write their own sample chapters and I'll like give them a template to follow. And like my first template that I still think is really good, you know, is like, okay, open like this. And there's like a description of like how to open and then, you know, different ways to structure it. And then like, and like this, and even, and sometimes, you know, people will be like, okay, I still don't like, I still don't know what to do. And eventually like, I'll just be like, all right, listen to me, tell this story, tell these three points, give this, this is what I want your yeah. word count to be for each one. And then I want you to end with this story. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> at some point, some, some people like, you know, yeah. you that find it really helpful. They just want to be, no, just tell please me. Please just tell things. me what to do. Please exactly. just yeah. tell me, tell me what to do. It's like going to the paint store. I'm like, okay, I've decided I want yellow. I want the room to be sunny. And then I go to Home Depot and there's 400 yellows and I stand there and I go, yes, white is fine. If they had three yellows, I could at least say like, here's like first light yellow and here's midday yellow and here's sunset yellow. Yeah. Which one of the three yellows? Yeah. Which personality are you? Are you super right. sunny or are you super calm? Okay. I'm super sunny. Okay, great. Yellow. I'm out. Yeah. Right. But when I have 400 yellows, when my chapter could literally say anything and I'm not a writer and it's my first time and oh my God, someone just kill me right now. I yeah. never mind. I'm just not going to write the book. And so that's why I did it. In, and with all the caveats in there of like, you don't have to do it my way. You don't right. have to, you don't have to do it this way, but if you're nervous or you feel apprehensive, then just do it this way. Yeah. I and love that, that will give you the confidence to yeah. move it around. That's so cool that you use the paint example too, because I swear to God, not on Sunday, like Benjamin Moore was like having a sale or whatever. And my husband was out. they are those, that bastard. <laughs> we are repainting or painting our dining room. And I want it to be um, blue, like more of like a dark navy blue. It's got a lot of natural light. And so I want it to just be kind of moody. Anyway, whatever. Nobody cares about that. But the, so we, we picked up like, my husband had been to whatever Benjamin before. And so for like months, we've had like taped up paint samples of a bunch of different blues, like 10. Yep. And every time yep. I'm in there, I'm like, mm, I don't know. I don't know. And so he was out on Sunday with one of my kids and I was at home and he was like, listen, I'm at Benjamin Moore, like just pick and I'm going to buy it. And I was like standing there looking at all the ones on the thing. And I was like, I still don't know. And I don't really trust my own opinion because I'm not a decorator. So I just Googled best selling Benjamin Moore blue. I came up with the one. I looked at a couple images of it. I said, great. I texted him the color and he's like, that's not one of our samples. And I was like, I don't care. It's the best selling one. So it must be good. Just get that one. Because an expert told me basically that yeah. it would work, you know, and that's, yeah. I'm not going to rely on my own instincts, you know, anyway, wow. that's so true. Yeah. Which blue is it? I don't know. All of that. It's like, there's too many. Which one Stop did it. the designers think is good? Just is tell it a warm blue or a cold blue. Right. Yeah. Is it a gray blue or a brown blue? I mean, for all, the love of all that's holy, right? Like yep. white is fine. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I love this focus on that organization too, because, you know, it might be considered like kind of nerdy or niche or not like a sexy part of like book writing, but when I, I'm like, Ariel and I tell people all Turns the time. Turns me on. That, 
<laughs> yeah, I'm all hot over here. I don't know what's wrong with those people. Oh no, ladies. <laughs> um, like it is the matrix behind like everything that's going on, right? Like mm -hmm. you, if you read a bad book, I mean, there, there are a handful of reasons why a book might be considered bad. If we want to like put that sure. in quotes, like a book that people just don't like, or it doesn't generate whatever it's meant to. But a lot of times like, and people can't tell this cause it's like, you know, infrastructure, basically it's often disorganized in a way that it just, you don't like it because it doesn't make sense to you. It doesn't yeah. propel you along. It doesn't say anything that actually helps you. Not because there's not actually something valuable in there, but often because it's just not delivered in the best way. And so like organization is so important and so hard sometimes. And to just break it down and like, here's eight chapters, make sure they you basically include these in some way. Yeah, anyway. Yeah. Also, I've read books where the authors purposely made it too hard. It was not easy to do. It was hard to do because their thinking was, if it's too hard for you to do it, then you're going to call me. And it's like, no, because you made me feel stupid and I'm not yeah. stupid. But if you go out of your way to use big words and use a complex process that has too many variables and your goal is to make me feel stupid and to drive me to you, all you're going to do is make me donate your book to the library so they can sell it. Yeah. At the book <laughs> I recently had that happen with um, a book called How to Do Nothing by Gen Jenny O'Dell, which was a best-selling book and has gotten lots of positive reviews. And I feel bad, you know, saying something bad about it, but I opened this book kind of expecting, first of all, it's called How to Do Nothing. So I'm like, great, this is going to be a breeze. I want it to be a breeze. I want to do nothing. I want to read this book for that, like catharsis of just like my being mindlessness, you know, and it was so hard to read. Like it was so academic and that's fine. The author is a professor at Berkeley, I think. And, you know, she's got her, you know, her things that she wants to say. And she's talking about doing nothing as kind of this act of like political resistance. And I'm like, this is just not what I was here for. It just wasn't the right book <laughs> for me at that time. I'm and a I tired, felt busy cat, dog, person, mom, wife, daughter, blah, blah, yeah. blah, blah. And I'm tired. So please give me an excuse to go sit on my front porch and read a book. I just wanted to do nothing, which is what the title of your book said. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> That's not what I got. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. So, okay. You have another book coming out yeah. this month in October. And it's about writer's block. So I know we've talked about your, your other two books. I'm like, we we're running out of time here because you have so many great books and so many Thank like you. amazing frameworks and ways of like systematizing how we think about writing. But yeah. I really want to hear about writer's block because we have not talked a lot about this on this podcast. So let's talk about writer's block. Okay. Well, the book is, there is no such thing as writer's block. Well, that's why we cool. haven't talked about it, which right, <laughs> because it doesn't exist. It's an urban legend. It's like, um, the Loch Ness monster or yeah. ghosts or something. So I wrote, um, I wrote the book, um, because I see a lot of people posting on social media and saying, I have writer's blocks. Does anybody else have writer's blocks? Like, oh yes, I watched the whole, I watched Game of Thrones again because I just couldn't even. And as I was writing the book, I was on a business trip. I was going to speak at cop camp. So let me give a shout out to uh, cops and writers in Wisconsin. And I was 
working on the first draft of the manuscript and the captain came over the, I was on an airplane. I was in that very sexy middle seat that everyone loves. Yep. And, uh, cause my plane had been diverted and got another plane. And so I got this middle seat and I'm a giant. So that's super fun for anyone who's a giant. Like, getting no. in the middle seat. Honore is not a giant. I just have to tell you, she is a beautiful, but tall woman. I'm, I'm five, nine and a half. And so my, my legs are 36 inches. So I'm like a daddy long legs. Like I have to like <laughs> squeeze myself into the seat. I have to wrap up and then I have to unwrap anyway. Yeah. So I got my laptop out. And I'm working on the first draft and the captain comes over and he's like, okay, everybody, we're about to take flight. You know, all, eyes all to the front, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I thought, what if the captain came over and was like, y'all, I just have captain's block today. I just have pilot's block. I just can't even just, just not today. I just, I, I can't, I can't with the buttons. I can't, we're just not going to do it. Can you imagine the people on the flight who were already pissed off because they had been squished into the middle seat and they were delayed and blah, 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 going, it's okay, brother. Like you just go to the captain's lounge, like get some popcorn, watch a, you know, watch a couple of shows on Netflix. Just we'll be right here waiting for you when, when you get around to it. And I thought the, the difference between professional writers, if you want to be a professional writer, you're not going to read, there is no such thing as writer's block unless you're a professional writer with writer's block, or you want to be a professional writer and professionals in any profession show up when they feel like it. And professionals in any profession show up when they don't feel like it. Yes. And so I wanted to analyze where did writer's block come from? Mm -hmm. P.S. I, I, I'm in a family of doctors. And so I say this all the time. They're always like, well, they, I went to the doctor and they just don't know. And I'm like, it's called a practice for a reason. <laughs> they kind of don't know what's wrong with you. They're like, honor it. Anyway, I'm a little, I'm a little sassy. It hasn't taken you 40 minutes to figure that out. Anyway, <laughs> it was a psychiatrist who decided that writer's block existed. Hmm. And so I thought, well, that's interesting. So we had a doctor tell us that we have a problem so that they could maybe prescribe something to help you be better. I'll just leave that hanging there. But then I remembered that when I watched Grey's Anatomy years ago, they talked about uh, medical student syndrome. Have you heard of this? No. no. Medical student syndrome is when, when the kids are in medical school, whatever disease they're studying, they're convinced that week oh. that's what they have. So yes, right. eczema they're like oh i'm itchy maybe i have eczema yes. like oh, oh you're yes. you have rapid heartbeat maybe you have heart failure oh no right yeah. right so you think yeah. you have whatever is being suggested to you so i'm thinking that maybe at some point you mentioned to someone you know i've been trying to write this article blog post poem song and i can't really write it and someone would go well maybe you have writer's block and then you go Oh my gosh, maybe I have writer's block. Oh my gosh, that's it. I have writer's block. Now I have an identity for my problem. Mm -hmm. So let's identify what writer's block is. Is it really writer's block? And if it isn't writer's block, what is it? You're right. Yeah. Is it that you're tired because you're not sleeping well? Is it that you're hungry because you're not eating well? Is it that you're stressed because you've got good stress because things are going well, but stress is stress or maybe bad stress because you've got a sick parent or a sick kid or a sick spouse, or you're just really freaking busy because you're working a full-time job and that's stressful. Yeah. So maybe you have time block, maybe you have idea block, or maybe you have writer's block. And if you actually have writer's block, then what are the ways around having writer's block 
How do you engineer yourself for success? How do you remove the blocks so that you can actually get into the flow of writing? And so that's why I wrote the book. I had a really fun time writing the book and I'm really excited about it because it's the first book I've ever written that's for all writers. It's for songwriters and screenwriters and poets and nonfiction writers and fiction writers and anybody who writes anything will benefit from reading the book. And if they don't have writer's block, then I tell them just to skip to chapter five so that they can get right into engineering their writing business, their writing mindset for success. Yeah, definitely. I I love that it's so in line with Stephen Pressfield's work too, with just Mm -hmm. like, I forget what his most recent book is like, put your ass in the chair and write or something like that. (laughs) But but it's so true. It's like professionals find a way to show up and they just do it anyway, no matter kind of how they feel. And even if it doesn't feel good that day, they're, they're like, all right, well, I still did my job. I still showed up. I still put words on pages, which is my job. That's literally the, my job is to put words on pages. So did I do that today? Great mission accomplished. (laughs) Right. They don't have to be good words. They don't have to be words that you're not going to murder later, murder your darlings. Yep. Just put some words on the page. That's it. I'm going yeah. to say, how do you write so many books? And I'm like, it's literally my job. I know. Yeah. That's literally like I got- my job. I write books. It's not, a, it's to me, it's not a thing. Like, how did you make so many cheeseburgers? Oh, it's your job. <laughs> right? Exactly. I know. I kind of get confused sometimes when people mostly just like, you know, friends yeah. or acquaintances who aren't like familiar with the business, but they'll be like, oh, do you ever get writer's block? And I'm like, no, because like, I am accountable to other people. So I have to, I have to do it. Like I just have to push through it. Even it's if just I don't not an like option. Yeah. yeah. And if you struggle a lot with writer's block, become a ghostwriter and you get plenty of ideas from other people and you don't have to come up with a lot of your own material. All I was right. like thinking about that as you were talking, I was like, well, there are probably lots of different kinds of writer's block. There are plenty of days where it's harder for me to write because of other things yeah. you talk about being tired or stressed or whatever. But in general, I never suffer from lack of material because I don't have to come up with my own most of the time. I'm ghostwriting for other people. And so lucky enough, I have a constant stream of ideas. And if I'm out of material, I just ask them for more of it, you know? Um, Anyway, but yeah, that's the difference between the professional. Like you said, you just, you show up. Like doctors don't just not show up for surgery because they don't feel like it that day. I have surgery block. I have dog walkers block. I have post postal delivery person block. Like you just don't hear of those in any yeah. other thing, only around creativity. And so then I just talk about how to turn on the creativity faucet. And part of it's, what do you, what do you believe? It's beliefs, behaviors, and actions. So I cover all of that in the book. It's like literally anything that you can come up with. I'm like, mm, okay, so that might be a thing, but let's make it not a thing. Let's engineer your brain for success. Let's engineer your time for success. Let's engineer your beliefs for success. Yeah. Well, that's kind of a good segue to one question that I wanted to ask you, you know, knowing that you are such a prolific writer and you are not a ghostwriter, you generate your own ideas and you write books based on here's what I'm thinking about right now. And Mm -hmm. most people would go, oh my gosh, I have like one idea for a book or I have like two ideas. How do you generate ideas for your books? Like, how do you, how do you know? I mean, you know, you kind of share the story of like, I was writing these emails and then someone printed out and told me to write this book, but you know, how do you generate 
your ideas otherwise? Um, well, so they all different ways. So about probably six of my books have been given to me by other people saying, you should write a book about that. And I'm like, did you just tell me to write a book? Do you have any idea what that is? Uh, <laughs> Don't threaten wow. me with good time. Cause oh, I'll do yeah, that. <laughs> that's right. Hello. Um, so that's, that's one thing. I also pay attention to what people are asking me about. So I wrote a book called you must write a book and that's to help professionals understand why writing and publishing a book is so incredibly important for their business, their brand, their career. And then people were saying, well, but how do I market my book? What are some interesting marketing ideas? And so I wrote, you must market your book. And then I did the companion workbooks. And one just seems to breed more. Right. And it's really what people are asking me about. So when I'm, when I'm talking, you know, when I'm a guest on a podcast or I visit a, a writer's community, I'm paying attention to what the common questions are that people are asking me. I get a lot of questions around what's my writing routine. How do I how do I write so prolifically, and how do I always have ideas, and how do I write when I don't feel like it? And so that a lot of that's in the writer's block book. But I haven't really nerded out on what my personal development practices are until the last few conversations I've had with people. Like they really want to look under the hood. They really want to know like what are you doing and how often do you do it and how long do you do it for? And like, and those are all like personal private things that in, in the writer's block book, I talk about one really fun concept called having a, a an alternate identity. So we know, like we know Jennifer Lopez and we know JLo and we know uh, Beyonce has Sasha Fierce. And so a lot of times people, especially creative people put on like an alter ego in order yeah. to, to give themselves the courage in advance of having the courage, right? So it's yeah. like not fake it till you make it, but a little bit. Mm-hmm. Well, I have H money. H money is my <laughs> alter ego. And, well, that's because that's what people call me because I run the Empire Builders Mastermind. They call uh, me Chris, but they also call me H money. And so the the there's a part of me that's like, Honore, shut up. Like, what are you talking about? And then there's the the part of me that's H money and H money is like, you want to help people. You want people to be prosperous. You want them to be prolific writers. You want them to write as easy, easily as they breathe. And so I let her win. I let my fun, sassy side win when my introverted, I want to go read a book and never leave my house again side is like, tamp it down, shut up. Like, what are you doing? And so I think that that the my ideas come from having just conversations with people and figuring out what they're struggling with. And if it's something I feel like I've mastered, that that's it's a journey I've been on, I go, well, let me just tell you what I did. I'm not I'm not Jesus, right? I'm not that there's not one way to do it. But if I can give you the courage, and that's what I said in this last conversation I was in, I'm like, look, part of me just wants to shut up and go downstairs and be like, oh, glad I didn't share that. But part of me is like, if I can help you in some way to gain pleasure and avoid pain, then please let me be the person that does that. Let me speak hope and possibility and opportunity into you and courage where you may not be feeling it. And so that's where my ideas come from. It's like every single book I've written is has come from a place of how can I add value and help people? Liz, we're going to have to come up with alter ego names. I know. I was thinking about. That's a brilliant idea. I know. Did y'all ever watch um, the Mindy Project? 
um mindy kaling on the show i can't her name is mindy on the show but she changes her last name anyway i can't remember what it is what her name on the show is but she has um she's like a doctor and she does that she comes up with like an alter ego to like help her be confident when she like goes on dates and stuff and her alter ego is beyonce pad thai so she's like today i'm beyonce pad thai that's awesome um that is oh i love that so because it's like it's sort of like in a healthy way yes creates a little bit of detachment you know what i mean almost like okay so i feel like i can't do it but maybe l money could what would l money do you know what i mean like you know and you can be like okay so i'm gonna live into this and by the way it is like pretty it is common for a lot of people to have even like nonfiction prescriptive nonfiction writers to have yep. a different voice, an alter ego. Like I heard um, Mark Manson interviewed and, you know, he's the subtle or not giving an F yeah. um, person for yeah. like, our listeners. If you haven't read his books um, and he like, not that you can't curse and be soft-spoken and lovely, but like, he does not come across as the person who you think would write a book like that and be so brash and almost harsh and kind of sharp and cutting. And the interviewer like asked him about it. And he's like, well, that's, that's my writing voice. That's not really how I live my life every day, you know? And like, that's just, um, anyway, I love that. Yes. We're going to have to have alter egos and be like, all right, I'm not feeling it today, but what would, but it's, but it's everything, right? It's what you wear. It's what you wear. Like, right. Don't you feel differently when you put on your don't mess with me suit? Yes. And your hair is done. I mean, there's a difference between if you even watching a makeover show, like you bring somebody out and you know, before they took that before picture, they're like, look as miserable as possible. Like (laughs) push your stomach out. Right. 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 Look as miserable as you possibly can. And then we're going to put you in the, like, look at, watch the devil wears Prada. Exactly. Where before she's like, she doesn't really care about this stuff. And like, you know, fashion is stupid and they're the clackers and they clack, 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 right? It's one of my favorite movies. And I love the montage when she goes in and she's like, oh, okay. And she gets her makeover and she just glides when she walks and she's elegant and then she's fierce and it's a totally different person. And it was just how she showed up. And so there's all this evidence of that. And it's, it can be superficial, but it can also just give you courage. And if you're ever like not feeling it, it might be because you're wearing your husband's sweatpants and because Mm -hmm. you've got throw up uh, from your baby on your shirt. And so maybe if you go take a shower and put some Mm -hmm. lipstick on, it's like my husband, like for the first couple of years we were married, he was like, where are you going today? I'm like, nowhere. (laughs) And he's like, oh, you're just dressed up. And I'm like, I get dressed up because I have to see myself. Right. Yes. (laughs) I look at myself when I, when I don't feel good. Yep. Right. And so I do that for myself, right? It's like, I used to clean because you were coming to visit. Now Mm -hmm. I clean because I'm coming to visit because Mm -hmm. I'm here. I used to get dressed because I was going to go see people. Now I get dressed because I'm going to see myself and it's just different. It's a a different energy. And it factors into that alter ego of like, eventually you become more your alter ego it becomes who you are not who you are aspiring to be it's not your future self it's your yourself right now because it is still 
a part of you, right? It's like, there's nothing inauthentic about what we're talking about. We're just talking about accessing that part of you that allows you to do some of these things that you find hard. And that part, that may be that part of you that isn't in your own way, you know? Yes. It's you at your very, very best. Yeah. Imagine yourself at your very, very best doing the things that you dream of doing Mm -hmm. and just put that person on right now and then put on a a bracelet or, or a ring or a necklace or a crown or a shirt or a jacket or a skirt or a pair of shoes or whatever that looks like. Mm-hmm. Um, even yeah. if nobody else knows about it, nobody has to know about it. You have to know about it and let it right. give you the, the, the strength and the power and the courage and the, the confidence to do the thing. And the, sometimes a lot of times confidence comes from actually doing something. And so exactly. you gotta just do it. Yeah. And then you go, well, that wasn't actually so hard. I'm pretty cool. And then you do a hair flip and then you, then you just do it again tomorrow. And you think, Hmm, I actually could do that. That actually wasn't so hard. I actually am awesome. Insert, you know, descriptor word. Yeah. I don't want any use, not any, not safe for children words, but you know, starts with bad rhymes (laughs) with class. (laughs) I am, I am, I am awesome in that way. Right. And then, then you just, you know, one yep. thing gets the next and the next thing, you know, there you are. So, yeah, well, that's super, super helpful. I'm really excited to put this podcast out there for everyone to hear because, um, there's so many good things in here. So honore, where can people find you if they want to take some of your classes or join your mastermind or otherwise just learn from all of the amazing wisdom that you have to share? Well, you are very kind. Um, I am found at honorequarter.com. I actually have a free eight day write your book challenge so they can cool. opt into that and get, get a little love in their inbox every day and get started mm-hmm. on the book. Um, I am at honor on all the socials and empire builder USA on Instagram. And I think that's it. Um, I, I, Amazon everywhere books are sold all the things. Mm-hmm. And I know you guys have a book coming out that I can't wait to read. So I hope I get to be an advanced reader of your Absolutely. Of course. Um, We didn't have to ask. (laughs) (laughs) Great. (laughs) One down. (laughs) Well, I am your avatar. I am your ideal reader. So send it over. Send it on over. I'm ready. Thanks for being part of the Hungry Authors community. If you like this episode, could you do us a huge favor? Head on over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a review. We would so appreciate it. You can also follow us on Instagram at hungryauthors or hungryauthors.com, our website, to get more information about our masterclasses and upcoming episodes. Remember that you have a story and a message worth publishing. And if you've got the hunger, you can make it happen. Mm-hmm.